We return to our discussion with Mary Tuma from a pre-recorded show regarding ALEC and Citizens United. Yeah, I think that's a great point, that it, and it does cross partisan lines. It completely contradicts democracy. The Supreme Court decision, this is how it manifests itself, is when you let money just be brought in to the system to affect not just uh, political contributions, but everyone's been fairly, I think, aware somewhat of the fact of lobbying and all these types of things. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people really realize how ingenious some of these pathways are taken in order to manipulate the American consciousness in a way then it's ready for whatever they want to do next, whether it's war in Iraq or whether it's 20% of the legislation that gets passed. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Anyhow, I wanted to move on. and uh... So that was from a Bringing Light into Darkness show that we had aired back on August the 1st, 2011, where Mary Tuma introduced during the news segment uh, information about ALEC returned to that subject on several occasions since then and want to get to uh, Bill Moyer's clip on that same subject of 2012. But before I did, I wanted to also indicate where Mary Tuma was connecting the dots to. She was indicating how important the Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission decision was. In 2008, the uh, conservative advocacy group Citizens United challenged in the Supreme Court Federal Election Commission the FEC rules that ban attack ads funded by outside groups shortly before an election. Uh, In a five to four decision, the court overturned key campaign finance rules and cases. It held for the first time that corporations have a First Amendment right to spend unlimited amounts of money to support or oppose candidates for elected office. As a consequence, outside groups spent over $3 billion on attack ads and other campaigning in the 2020 election cycle. So again, when you talk about a democracy, but you talk about those that have the most money being able to spend it in an unlimited fashion in order to buy attack ads and shape the discourse and narrative around candidates and legislations and those types of things, they, they're able to use their inordinate strength to maintain their inordinate strength. And this is at the direct cost to the democratic rights of every individual that are not so well endowed, which is the rest of us, right? The 90.9.99%. In a democracy, everyone is supposed to have an equal voice. But with this legislation, the loudest voice comes with the biggest bag of money. Simple as that. Anyhow, with that being said... I wanted to go to this 2012 show in which we featured Bill Moyer's production on ALEC. Uh, This next segment goes back to a Bill Moyer's September 28, 2012 show entitled United States of ALEC. It is represented as a report on the most influential corporate-funded political forces most of America has never heard of, ALEC, A-L-E-C, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Moyers describes them as a national consortium of state politicians and powerful corporations. ALEC presents itself as a quote-unquote non-partisan public-private partnership. However, behind those words, he warns a vast network of corporate lobbying and political action aimed to increase corporate profits 
at public expense, and most importantly, without any public knowledge, is the reality. It actualizes its mission in state houses around the country with hundreds of pieces of boilerplate ALEC legislation that are proposed or enacted that would, among other things, dilute collective bargaining rights, therefore increasing corporate profits, make it harder for some Americans to vote, therefore increasing the probability that those they want in power remain in power, and also limit corporate liability for harm caused to consumers, uh, which is all being accomplished without the public ever knowing who's behind it. This particular excerpt of that Bill Moyer's show called The United States of Alec uh, is a collaboration between Acopi Productions LLC and the Schumann Media Center headed by Bill Moyers, which supports independent journalism and public watchdogs, including the Center for Media and Democracy, whose investigators are featured in the report in which Mary Tuma had referred to in our earlier segment. Again, this actual report aired on Moyer's show back on September 28, 2012. Here's that excerpt. I've often told people that I talk to out on the campaign trail when they say, state what? When I say running for the state legislature. I tell them that the decisions that are made here in the legislature are often more important for your everyday life than the decisions the president makes. If you really want to influence the politics of this country, you don't just give money to presidential campaigns. You don't just give money to congressional campaign committees. Smart players put their money in the states. ALEC has forged a unique partnership between state legislators and leaders from the corporate and business community. This partnership offers businessmen the extraordinary opportunity to apply their talents to solve our nation's problems and build on our opportunities. I was stunned at the notion that politicians and corporate representatives, corporate lobbyists were actually voting behind closed doors on these changes to the law before they were introduced in state houses across the country. ALEC uh, has been, I think, uh, a wonderful organization. Uh, not only does it bring uh, like-minded legislators together, but the private sector uh, engagement and partnership uh, in ALEC is, is really what I think makes it uh, the organization that it is. You might have heard the name ALEC in the news lately. The American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC for short. The American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC. ALEC is a nationwide consortium of elected state legislators working side by side with some of America's most powerful corporations. They have an agenda you should know about, a mission to remake America, changing the country by changing its laws, one state at a time. ALEC creates what it calls model legislation, pro-corporate laws like this one that its members push in state houses across the country. Alex says close to a thousand bills, based at least in part on its models, are introduced every year, and an average of 200 pass. This has been going on for decades, but somehow, Alec managed to remain the most influential corporate-funded political organization you'd never heard of, until a gunshot sounded in the Florida night. Trayvon Martin unarmed, but for a bag of candy and an iced tea that he was carrying. Zimmerman. You'll recall that the shooter in Trayvon Martin's death was protected at first by Florida's so-called Stand Your Ground law. That law was the work of the National Rifle Association. There's its lobbyist standing right beside Governor Jeb Bush 
when he signed it into law in 2005. Although Alec didn't originate the Florida law, it seized on it for the Stand Your Ground model it would circulate in other states. 24 of them have passed a version of it. How did this law not only get in place in Florida, but around the country? And all the fingers kept pointing back to Alec. When civil rights and grassroots groups learned about Alec's connection to Stand Your Ground laws, they were outraged. Alec doesn't do its work alone. They do it with some of the biggest corporate brands in America. Before long, corporations were pulling out of Alec, including Coca-Cola, Kraft Foods, McDonald's, Johnson & Johnson. Caught in the glare of the national spotlight, Alec tried to change the subject. You know, I think the, the entire debate needs to be reframed, and really what ALEC is, is a bipartisan association of state legislators. Um, we have, you know, legislators of all political stripes coming together to talk about the most critical issues facing the states and, and trying to come up with the best solutions to face some of the problems. Right, so your point is it's not a partisan organization. But ALEC is partisan, and then some. In the spring, I got a call from a person who said that all of the ALEC bills were available and was I interested in looking at them? Uh, and I said, I was. Lisa Graves, a former Justice Department lawyer, runs the Center for Media and Democracy. That's a nonprofit investigative reporting group in Madison, Wisconsin. In 2011, by way of an ALEC insider, Graves got her hands on a virtual library of internal ALEC documents. She was amazed by its contents, a treasure trove of actual ALEC model bills. These are the bills that were provided by the whistleblower. There were more than 850 of them. 850 boilerplate laws that ALEC legislators could introduce as their own in any state in the union. Bills to change the law to make it harder for American citizens to vote, those were ALEC bills. Bills to dramatically change the rights of Americans who are killed or injured by corporations, those were ALEC bills. Bills to make it harder for unions to do their work were ALEC bills. Bills to basically block climate change agreements, those were ALEC bills. When I looked at them, I was really shocked. I didn't know how incredibly extensive and deep and far-reaching this effort to rework our laws was. She and her team began to plow through Alex documents, as well as public sources, to compile a list of the organizations and people who were or had been Alex members. They found hundreds of corporations from Coca-Cola and Coke Industries to ExxonMobil, Pfizer, and Walmart. Dozens of right-wing think tanks and foundations dozen corporate law firms and lobbying firms, and some thousand state legislators, a few of them Democrats, the majority of them Republican. ALEC is a corporate dating service for lonely legislators and corporate special interests that eventually the relationship culminates with uh, some special interest legislation and hopefully uh, that lives happily uh, ever after is the ALEC model. Uh, unfortunately, what's excluded from that equation is the public. In the Wisconsin State House, Democratic Representative Mark Pocan is trying to expose Alex's fingerprints whenever he can. By one count, over a third of Pocan's fellow Wisconsin lawmakers are Alec members. When you look around, uh, especially on the Republican side of the aisle, a lot of members of Alec. Front row, Alec. <laughs> when you start going down to... Um, you know, the, the chair of finance and some of the other members are all ALEC members, in fact, ALEC co-chair for the state. Row by row, you can point out people who've been members of ALEC over the years. 
there's two main categories they have. One is uh, how to reduce the size of government, uh, and the other half of it is this model legislation that's in the corporate good. In other words, this profit-driven legislation. How can you open up a new market? How can you privatize something that can open up a market for a company? And between those two divisions, you're kind of getting to the same end goal, which is really kind of ultimate privatization of everything. Mark Pocan is something of an expert on Alec. In fact, to learn as much as he could, he became a member. What, I, what I'd realize is if you join ALEC for a mere $100 as a legislator, you have the full access like any corporate member. He also took himself to an ALEC conference for a first-hand look. Hi, I'm State Representative Mark Pocan, and welcome to my video blog. Uh, I'm outside of the Marriott on Canal Street in New Orleans at the ALEC Convention, the American Legislative Exchange Council. That was where you watched the interaction of a room full of lobbyists. You know, free drinks, free cigars, whining, dining. Uh, many people just came from a dinner that was sponsored by some special interest, coming to a party that's sponsored by a special interest, so they can continue to talk about special interests. This is from um, the New Orleans Convention. This includes a number of seminars that they held for legislators, including one called uh, Warming Up to Climate Change, the Many Benefits of Increased Atmospheric CO2. That 2011 ALEC conference, lo and behold, sponsored by BP, ExxonMobil, Chevron, and Shell, among others. Another of its events featured guns. This is an NRA-sponsored shooting event for legislators and for lobbyists. Free. There was even one offering free cigars. Sponsored by Reynolds American, which is one of the biggest tobacco companies in the world, and the Cigar Association of America. It sounds like lobbying. It looks like lobbying. It smells like lobbying. But Alec says it's not lobbying. In fact, Alec operates not as a lobby group, but as a nonprofit, a charity. In its filing with the IRS, Alec says its mission is education, which means it pays no taxes and its corporate members get a tax write-off. Its legislators get a lot, too. In Wisconsin, I can't take anything of value from a lobbyist. I can't take a cup of coffee. Alec? It's just the opposite. You know, you get there and you're being wined and dined by corporate interests. I can go down there and be wined and dined for, for days in order to hear about their special legislation. I mean, the head of Shell Oil flew in on his private jet to come to this conference. The head of one of the largest utility companies in the country was there on a panel, a utility company in 13 states, and here he is presenting to legislators. I mean, they clearly brought in some of the biggest corporate names and special interest dumb and uh, had them meeting with uh, legislators because a lot of business transpires at these events. So that was all back in 2012, Bill Moyer's program. If you fast forward to today and go to the alecexposed.org website, you can see that they continue to push legislation to protect corporations from damage claims. This is designed to limit awards by juries and injury lawsuits. It enables, according to the website, anti-LGBTQ hate. Right-wing business lobby Alec is defending hate groups and working to prevent companies from diversifying their staffs and taking liberal stances on social issues. You can also see model bills that are related to attacks on banks that divest from fossil fuels, such that bills that would penalize companies that stop investing in or financing fossil fuels. And then with respect to privatizing education, around 70 lawmakers, lobbyists, and researchers 
as recently as December of 2021, gathered in San Diego and heard speakers speak to model legislation in the GOP's manufactured culture war over the supposed teaching of critical race theory in public schools. Basically, money talks, a kind of concept that even if you are against the tide of public consent or the majority opinion of our country, through these types of groups, you can overcome such obstacles, which is really kind of antithetical to that democracy. We started the show with all of this money we pour into our war and conflicts that result in a benefit for a small number of persons connected to the war industry. We looked at the revolving door between military generals and Pentagon employees in the defense industry. We also looked at the incredible amounts of monies we pour into the war machine, citing a record-breaking $782 billion this year alone in the defense budget by President Biden. But it's not just the military-industrial complex. We saw how domestically, through ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Group, the public welfare is subordinated to corporate profiteering at every turn through agents such as ALEC. We wanted to end the show with two last concepts of hidden forms of oppression and unfair advantages for the corporate elite. After 20 years of war in Afghanistan, we finally did the right thing by withdrawing our forces and ending the war, despite a huge pushback by Democrats and Republicans alike that wanted to continue the war. In today's show, we wanted to highlight some important and connected teaching points that we want to acknowledge that we feel are instructive in order for the public to get a better understanding of the tendencies of U.S. foreign policy in the world theater. The hope is that if we understand the true nature and tendencies of our foreign policy and take responsibility for them, we can build a better and more peaceful world. In August of 2021, Craig Whitlock from the Washington Post published his book, The Afghanistan Papers, A Secret History of the War. One review of the book said, quote, a powerful indictment of the U.S. war in Afghanistan and the lack of accountability and transparency of American political institutions, which served to deceive the American public into not opposing the Afghan war. The book followed his 2019 Washington Post articles of the same name, the Afghan Papers, a revelatory account of an aspect of the war that American officials sought to conceal from the American public. At the heart of his analysis is not a story of innocent misfortune, but of official deception, disinformation, strategic incoherence, and inertia. It sheds a much-needed light on the centrality of disinformation to the war effort. Whitlock has provided us with a comprehensive accounting of many of the costs of this war, with an invaluable roadmap to those seeking the restoration of accountability and trust. It took three years and two federal lawsuits for the Washington Post to pry loose more than 2,000 pages of interview notes with generals. This was published in the Washington Post on December 9, 2019 by the aforementioned Craig Whitlock. The interviews with some 400 people were part of a project called Lessons Learned, undertaken by the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, and the Washington Post obtained them after a three-year legal battle. These Afghanistan papers are a secret history of the war, and Whitlock tells us that they contain these frank admissions of how the war was screwed up and what the American public were being told about the war just simply was not true. So what did the Afghan papers teach us? With a long history of the U.S. government lying to the American people about foreign policy issues, whether it was in Iraq, Libya, Syria, 
the Georgia-Russian conflict in 2008. All of these misrepresentations reflect the common denominator that we should not trust what our government says before verifying it independently. Additionally, the Afghan papers dovetails perfectly with the other most consequential foreign policy lie since World War II, that of Vietnam. It actually dovetails perfectly with Daniel Ellsberg's Pentagon Papers. Released by Daniel Ellsberg, who had worked on the study, the Pentagon Papers were first brought to the attention of the public on the front page of the New York Times in 1971. A 1996 article in the New York Times said that the Pentagon Papers had demonstrated, among other things, that the Johnson administration had systematically lied not only to the public, but also to Congress. The Pentagon Papers study was ordered by Robert McNamara, the Pentagon Papers revealed that four successive presidents had essentially lied about the Americans' involvement in Vietnam. The Pentagon Papers revealed that Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Johnson had continued to send American soldiers to fight in a war that could not be won to justify these actions. Presidents, military leaders, and other government officials had lied to the public, just like in Afghanistan. The same thing occurred with the Afghan deal. We were lied to for over a decade. We knew it was an unwinnable war, yet we kept on being told it was very winnable. And this turns to our last segment of the show in which we wanted to talk about how the media and the revolving door of analysts that make up the quote-unquote experts that feed us information through the media influence and promote the continued wars and conflicts despite the realities that were very evident and were revealed by the Pentagon Papers and the Afghan Papers, namely that our government lies to us in order to promote and to continue unjust wars, while at the same time, those unjust wars create incredible profiteering opportunities. In the article that we started the show off with, the Defense Industries Ukraine Pundits, the April 14th, 2022 article by Adida Ramaswamy and Andrew Perez entitled The Defense Industry's Ukraine Pundits. They cite yet another leg on the chair that connects wealth disparity to unjust wars and the allowance of deceitful information regarding these issues to the American public by the mainstream media. It details this very issue they give an example of Jeremy Bash, who served as chief of staff at the Pentagon and the CIA under President Obama, who had been a recurring guest on MSNBC and NBC during their coverage of the crisis in Ukraine. Bash, who was named a national security analyst for NBC and NBC in 2017, the article says, is also a founder and managing director at Beacon Global Strategies, which describes itself as a strategic advisory firm specializing in international policy, defense, cyber intelligence, and homeland security. While Beacon Global Strategies does not disclose its clients, the firm has worked for defense giant Raytheon, according to the New York Times. Last week, referring to, again, this article dated on April of 2022, last week CNN brought on former U.S. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta for his fourth recent appearance to talk once again about Russian President Vladimir Putin and his deadly invasion of Ukraine. Quote, I think we need to understand that there's only one thing that Putin understands, and that's force, said Panetta on the newsroom. The former CIA director added, I think the United States has to provide whatever weapons are necessary to the Ukrainians so that they can hit back and hit back now, end quote. 
But at no time did Panetta nor CNN mention that Panetta is a senior counselor at that Beacon Global Strategies, that defense industry consulting firm that has reportedly represented weapons manufacturer Raytheon. The firm doesn't disclose its clients, but Raytheon and the defense industry generally stand to benefit from the conflict in the Ukraine. In another segment of this article, it states, the networks have consistently failed to disclose those analysis day jobs, describing them instead by only their former high-ranking military or government roles, leaving viewers in the dark about the analysts' financial ties to defense contractors that stand to profit from increased or prolonged conflict. During its Ukraine coverage, MSNBC even failed to include disclosures when the network invited on former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, who serves on the board of directors at Lockheed Martin, the world's biggest defense contract. A corporate media's lack of transparency about these consultants in an analysis of three weeks of news coverage following last year's U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan, fairness and accuracy in reporting found that 20 of the 22 featured guests from the United States on the network Sunday shows had ties to the military-industrial complex. The only other commonality between these 20 of 22 pundits was that they were all in favor of continuing rather than ending the Afghan war. Yet again, no mention of their direct monetary beneficiary relationship to a continued conflict. Meanwhile, returning to the present conflict of today, the Ukraine crisis and the potential for greater conflict have been a goldmine for defense contractors sending stocks skyrocketing and promoting sharp increases in defense spending. Certainly, there are other geopolitical considerations, but these hidden realities must be brought out into the daylight in order for any geopolitical analysis to be close to the truth. See you next week. Don't be late.